Welcome to the Candida Chronicles with our host, Michael Biamonte, Certified Clinical Nutritionist. In this podcast, Michael will answer your questions and reveal the shocking truth that the cause of most chronic ailments is not what you've been told. The source is Candida, a yeast overgrowth which, when it becomes systemic, can cause all sorts of seemingly unrelated ailments such as chronic fatigue syndrome and even weight gain. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. And now, without further ado, Michael Biamonte. Hello everyone, this is Michael Biamonte, Clinical Nutritionist, with another episode of the Candida Chronicles. And I would like to announce today that the first of a series of five books on Candida that I'm writing will be released within the next few months, so keep an eye and an ear peeled for the book. It will be announced on health-truth.com and most likely on Facebook and Twitter when the book is released. So the subject today of the podcast is which is the best antifungal? And I'm dedicating this episode, actually, because this episode was inspired by a Facebook group that uh, discusses Candida. And the group is called the Candida Support and Information group. Someone posted a question on this group as to what the best antifungal was. And that's an interesting topic because in actual fact, there is no best antifungal. And I'm going to present the reasons why this is the case. And you'll be able to learn a lot more about actual application of medicines and botanicals in the battle against candida. The reason why there is no best antifungal is because everyone's case is different. First off, when we look at prescription antifungals, prescription antifungals range from nystatin, which works only in the intestinal tract. So if someone had candida only in their intestinal tract, nystatin might be useful. Other, other candida antifungals like ketoconazole and Spornox, work more systemically. Uh, Unfortunately, they work systemically to the point where they could destroy your kidneys and liver, which is why they're used quite sparingly. But if one had what we would describe as systemic candida, then those medications might be better. However, generally speaking, those are inferior treatments. Botanicals are the superior treatment to candida for several reasons. The first is the different strains of candida out there have developed resistance to the medical drugs because they're so widely prescribed and because the practitioners prescribing them make the mistake of allowing the patient to take these drugs for 21 days and longer. And this is a big mistake because Candida begins to develop drug resistance against any 
medication or botanical after 21 days. So first off, this is one detriment that we have in, in using prescription antifungals. There's the possibility that your strain of candida is already drug-resistant. The second problem is when you really understand candida, you come to terms with the subject of dysbiosis. The simple definition of dysbiosis is that we have an imbalance between all the good flora and bad flora. The bad flora includes candida, parasites, and harmful bacteria, along with various microfilm. Now, the medications used to treat candida, like nystatin and diflucan, are not broad spectrum when it comes to dysbiosis at all. These are only antifungals. They do not have any effect on suppressing parasite activity or harmful bacteria. When you learn about candida and you come to grips with the fact that candida is part of the condition called dysbiosis, you then quickly learn and understand that in order to alleviate candida, you have to alleviate dysbiosis. This means that it's not good enough just to kill candida. You have to kill its friends because they work together. They help each other. The friends are the parasites and the harmful bacteria. Luckily for us in the plant kingdom, the botanicals that are used that can destroy candida are also wide, broad spectrum enough to kill the harmful bacteria and many of the parasites that we find when a person has candida, hence they have dysbiosis. So this is the first lesson to be learned. In dealing with candida, you're actually dealing with a, a senior topic or subject, which is dysbiosis. And dysbiosis is complicated by the fact that you're dealing with multiple types of harmful flora or dysbiotic flora, which include candida itself and other strains of fungus and yeast, perhaps, different types of parasites, both parasites that are seen with the naked eye that are typically referred to as worms, and then the type of parasites, which are the microscopic ones that are typically referred to as amoeba. So in order to be effective in the treatment, you have to be able to address all three categories of dysbiosis. Many people have their dysbiosis dominated by one group over another. When we test the person using the Biamonte urine test, we find that we will see where the dominance lies. Um, if you have an accurate stool result, you could also see the dominance quite clearly too. The dominance will be with one of these groups, parasites, bacteria, or fungal. So when you find the, what, where the dominance is, you have to aim your attack at whatever the dominant category of dysbiosis is. So hypothetically, if the person shows their dysbiosis is um, more of the bacterial nature, then the botanicals that you, you, you choose must be more antibiotic, let's say, than not. If you find it's more fungal, then you would aim your treatment at 
botanicals that are more in favor of killing fungus. If it's parasitic, then you aim your treatment more at parasites. But when you're using botanicals, keep in mind they're broad spectrum enough to kill all three categories simultaneously. And this is, the, again, going back, I'll reference this, to this is the problem with prescription medications. Prescription medications for candida are singularly antifungal. They are not antibacterial or antiparasitic, so it immediately lessens your chance of addressing a true dysbiosis condition by simply using an antifungal. This is why there's such a high level of relapse in patients who take prescription antifungals. It's because, number one, they often cause their candida strain to become drug-resistant by the continual use of the antifungal. And number two, the prescription antifungal cannot kill the three categories of dysbiosis. So while you may have lessened your candida colonies by taking the prescription antifungal, you've done nothing at all to reduce the colonies of harmful bacteria and parasites, which work to inhibit the growth of friendly bacteria. So when you have dysbiosis, it's important that you kill all of the categories of dysbiosis, because if you don't, the remaining categories that are left standing will inhibit the growth of friendly bacteria. So the, the whole job that you're trying to accomplish in treating dysbiosis is you're trying to kill the parasites, the bacteria, and the candida in order to get your friendly bacteria to grow again. If any of those categories are left, the friendly bacteria cannot regrow, and then it's only an eventuality that whatever the other categories which you did eliminate will then start to grow back. You'd never kill all of the microbes. If someone has bacterial dysbiosis, you, you're happy to reduce 90% of it and then get the friendly bacteria to take its place. The same thing is true with parasites, with candida. You're never going to kill all of these organisms. You're going to kill the majority of them. You're going to kill enough to, let's say, allow the friendly bacteria to regrow and then prevent these organisms from becoming dominant again. So now, looking into what medicines actually are the most effective in dealing with the dysbiosis and candida conditions, the first one uh, to take up would be Lomatium. Um, the Lomatium is a very powerful herb which was discovered by the American Indians. It's a North American herb. And this herb was called wild black carrot root. What the Indians would do is they would gather up a bunch of these roots, boil it down, and then ferment it into a kind of a alcoholic drink, and then they would have these parties where everybody would be getting drunk on this wild black carrot root. They happened to notice that people who were sick the next day after getting drunk on this herb were now well, particularly people who had a condition that was called furry tongue. 
A furry tongue by the American Indians was actually an identification of modern-day thrush. So when the people drank large amounts of the lamation at these Indian parties, they were having a big, a, a, basically a huge antifungal treatment, and this killed their thrush, killed whatever other microbes were in their system. Lomatium is also an adrenal tonic, so it helped their adrenal glands. It helps stimulate the immune system. Lomatium can kill strep and staph bacteria. It's highly antiviral. It's one of the few herbs which is actually quite effective against Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, the only, to my knowledge, the only virus that Lomatium is not particularly effective against is HIV. So this is very interesting that the single herb, Lomatium, can do so many things. There is another herb which is of similarity, which is called Spilanthes, which has a lot of the same properties as Lomatium in terms of what it can do. Uh, however, Spilanthes is an herb which leans a little bit more to the antifungal side than it, than it does antiviral or antibacterial. But it does have other properties of, of helping the immune system and helping the adrenal glands, etc. Both Lomatium and Spilanthes work systemically. And uh, we often use them together in rotations on, on the phase one part of our program. Sumarut is another interesting herb. Um, Sumarut is interesting because it's an adrenal tonic, and it's also an aphrodisiac, and it's also highly antifungal. You know when you're, you've hit the right dose on Sumarut sometimes because it'll make you very ill. It also is known to make people very ill when they no longer need it, which is an interesting idiosyncrasy of this, herb, this herb. It's typically sold in capsules, and a, a pretty standard dose is uh, 10 capsules three times a day. It's a very high amount that's needed for the antifungal effect to take place from the sumo root. Running down the list and continuing, black walnut extract, which correctly should be um, green walnut extract, but it's called black walnut because the actual nut itself looks black. When you, when you have a, a fresh black walnut in your possession, when you open it up, you notice that the inner lining is a very dark green. That's the part of the nut which is biologically active. It's highly antifungal. Black walnut is actually more antifungal than it is antiparasitic, which is odd. Because one of the most traditional uh, anti-parasitic protocols, um, I think originally founded by Holda Clark, an ex-colleague of mine, which is now popular with uh, Kroger Herbs and many other herbal companies, is the combination of black walnut, wormwood, and cloves. So it's interesting that black walnut is actually more antifungal than antiparasitic. Artemisia, the wormwood, is more antiparasitic. So it makes you wonder if this traditional pairing is being used to kill both the fungus and the parasites, which would occur in a case of dysbiosis. Pau Darko, uh, another popular antifungal herb, particularly effective against the strain of Candida albicans. Uh, the Biamonte Center, we don't use Pau Darko anymore as a single treatment because most of the patients who come to us do not have Candida albicans. 
they have Candida tropicalis, which is a more advanced and mutated strain of Candida. But if you have Candida albicans, it's a pretty effective treatment as long as you're rotating it along with other antifungal medicines, let's say. Uh, there are many formulations that are out there. And one of the problems with the different formulations that exist is that the formulations don't specify whether or not they're more useful systemically versus intestinally. As a general rule, any formulation which contains undesalinic acid or caprylic acid is a formulation that you're going to want to use more for intestinal candida, not for any systemic type of candida. Because caprylic acid and undesalinic acid primarily work in the intestinal tract. Um, citricidal or paramycocidin, which are known as the grapefruit seed extract, is very poorly absorbed in, by the intestinal tract into the bloodstream. Therefore, it's better suited as an intestinal antifungal. Vegetable and zinc tannin products uh, are strictly intestinal. Um, they do not work at all on systemic candida, and they particularly work better in cases of dysbiosis where the person has diarrhea, because the zinc tannin supplements, let's say, are much more effective against strains of parasites and bacteria that cause diarrhea and uh, very effective against candida than they are against other microbes. So if you, get a, if you have a person who's suffering with candida, who has loose stools chronically, the use of the Tanelbit product is a no-brainer, especially if you're using it in the phase of the program where we specify the intestinal candida is being addressed. So we've uh, actually made a review of the phase two items right there. A little bit ahead of schedule, but that, that's fine. Going back to phase one items, however, there's another herbal supplement, which is, the trade name is Colorex, K-O-L-O-R-E-X, which is a very effective antifungal. Colorex is, I believe, a Brazilian herb, which is uh, singularly very effective against yeast and fungal forms. It does have some ability to destroy the bacteria that surround the candida. Uh, however, it is not an effective antiparasitic. It's more of an antifungal, antibacterial. This is available in capsules. It's also available in different gels and creams to be used topically, which is always interesting. And it's a very good product to use, particularly when someone is suffering with any type of a jock itch or such thing. Very effective in those cases. Now, looking at the formulations which are available, I would have to say that most likely the best formulation that exists of all time as an anti-dysbiotic botanical is a product called Biocidin. Biocidin has changed over the years. Initially, it had a good amount of blood root in it, 
Um, it was very strong and had the unfortunate ability to make people very sick. The biocidin has been, let's say, calmed down a bit so that it doesn't make people as ill. It certainly does create a lot of die-off when it's being used. There's a companion product that's often given with biocidin, which is called biotonic. And the biotonic is essentially... an Artemisia product. I'm sorry, folks, we seem to have lost our connection. And uh, I'm going to go back to review some of the things we, we took up. The same broadcast can be listened to again and replayed in its entirety which we will post on Facebook, and for those of you who missed out on some of it, we, did, we were covering some of the more effective antifungals uh, to list them, and then you can, you can always look them up. We covered Lomatium, Spilanthes, Sumarut, a substance called Cholerex, and then also we covered some of the intestinal antifungals, which are caprylic acid, undesalinic acid, paramycocidin, and tanalbit. These are some of the better. And we're now covering some of the formulas that exist. The primary one is biocidin. This is the, by far the most effective of all the antifungal formulations that exist. There are oxygenating products as well that can be used, which are very effective systemically, they tend to be particularly effective at removing candida from the lungs, as is Lomatium. Uh, an example of these products would be BioClordox, which is actually a copy of a product that was made in Mexico called DC3 or Dioxychlor. This can be taken under the tongue sublingually, and it's excellent at destroying candida in that manner. Food-grade hydrogen peroxide also can be diluted with water, a drunk and also taken under the tongue, but you better make sure your dilution is pretty strong because it's very irritating to the mucous membranes. Dioxychlor and the food-grade hydrogen peroxide along with ozonated water or ozone, let's say, liquid ozone, very powerful at destroying microbes in the lungs as is the lomatium. There's a particular technique that we use where we have the person put the substance in a vaporizer, let's say. Uh, lomatium would be a good example. We put lomatium in a vaporizer. We have the person inhale it for about 10 or 15 minutes, and this is driving the herb directly into the lungs where it can kill the microorganisms. Calendula is another herb particularly effective at killing candida in the oral cavity, although it can work anywhere. But it is particularly effective in the oral region. Very good for eliminating candida on the lips, the gums, the tongue. Uh, does a pretty good job at eliminating the thrush that you 
can occur with candida. Briefly, we had gone over before the intestinal types of antifungals. The two most effective intestinal antifungals would be caprylic acid and endosalinic acid. The reason why they would be the most effective is because they are essentially fatty acid antifungals, so they have the ability to be absorbed into the cells of your intestinal tract. And at, when they are absorbed into the cells, they kill the candida right at its, at its roots, essentially. Butyric acid, which is also known as butyrate, is another similar intestinal fatty acid, which is highly antifungal and antibacterial. It works often in the same manner as the caprylic acid and the undosalinic acid. So any of these substances can be rotated together. Generally speaking, on the Biomonte program, when we rotate the intestinal antifungals, we use a minimum of seven days on each one because the action required in getting these to absorb into the intestinal tract takes longer than the first group that we discussed, which are the typical antifungals that are used on phase one, which are considered more systemic. Again, the great thing about all these botanicals is that they're all broad spectrum and they all can kill both bacteria, parasites, and candida in general. Tea tree is another, very effective as an antifungal douche or to kill thrush in the mouth. In, for, in a form that is uh, food grade, where you can actually consume the tea tree, it is a very good antifungal, as is neem. N-E-E-M, neem. has very similar properties to tea tree. You will occasionally find candida formulas, which contain echinacea, cayenne, and some other ingredients which are supposedly systemic killers of candida. These types of products are not particularly antifungal. They are more immune boosting, which is how their actions work. That's not necessarily a product that you would start out with, unless it also contained desert globe, which is highly antifungal. In that combination, it would work as an antifungal as opposed to just being an immune booster. Golden seal is not particularly a heavy antifungal. A golden seal is more of an antibiotic to kill bac the bacterial end of the dysbiosis. There are many essential oils which have very strong antifungal properties. Um, it's difficult as far as manufacturing goes to get the essential oils into a form where a person can take them and not feel intestinal irritation. But essentially, all the essential oils that it would be considered to have hot properties, like let's say cinnamon as an example, are pretty powerful antifungals if you can take them correctly. Lavender has natural antifungal effects and is very useful. Now, the ones that I'm going over here in this broadcast today are the ones that I have personal experience with using, so I know particularly what to expect by using them. If you, if you buy a book on essential oils, 
or if you buy a book on, on herbs, you'll probably see some other antifungal herbs and, and essential oils listed there. And I have no doubt that they are not completely valid. However, I don't have personal experience with them, which is why I'm not going to mention them on this broadcast today. I'd like to stick to the ones that I know of, because uh, the ones that I know of, we know what to expect in terms of their use. We know what to expect in terms of the amount of die-off or Herxheimer reaction that a person will get from them. So that makes them pretty significant in that manner. Uh, like any medicinal herb that you're using to try to kill microorganisms, it's, it's very key that the items are rotated. If the items are not rotated, what will occur is drug resistance after a period of, let's say, uh, 21 days, which is very typical. Question came in from someone, which I want to take up right now. Is the Biamonte test able to detect which type of candida one has? Uh, no, it is not. Uh, the reason why it's not is because for many years we used a culture in our office, which is called Cro-Magar, comes from France. It's a very accurate culture to identify the species of candida that patients had. In fact, I told a story not too long ago on this broadcast of one of our patients that was walking up to our office uh, with their urine and stool sample in a uh, Tiffany's bag, and someone came running up behind them and stole the bag from them thinking it was some kind of expensive jewelry. <laughs> but uh, anyway, in those days, we had patients would bring their stool samples in, and we would incubate the stool sample using the Cro-Magar. And um, we, would find some, we found something very interesting, which I believe I stated at the beginning of this broadcast. The majority of the people who came to us were seasoned candida fighters. These are patients normally who knew more about candida than most of the doctors they were seeing. And these people did not have candida albicans as a species. These people uniformly, I would say, had candida tropicalis. We would find occasionally people who had candida galbrata, and even less occasionally people who had candida albicans. The people who had candida albicans typically were the ones who never heard of candida before, didn't know they had it, didn't know what, what it was. The moral of this story is what you know, when the person knew they had candida, the self-treating that they did was of the type to cause them to make their candida drug-resistant and mutate, therefore become candida tropicalis. The people who didn't know what candida was were, were not treating their candida, therefore their strain remained as candida albicans. A stool test is really the best way to tell what candida species you have. In the case of the Biamonte method, it doesn't make any difference because we now only use protocols which kill all strains of candida. Back in the early 90s, when we were more or less just developing our candida treatment, this stool test was important because we needed to differentiate the strain or the species so that we knew what medicines were best. 
we had uh, at one point in our office in the, um, the, the clinical area a chart that I had made up for my interns who were working there that showed them which species of candida was more likely to be susceptible or sensitive to which herbs. Uh, that chart still exists. It's still part of the, the material on the Biamonte Candida course, which we have not uh, actually, has not been in use for a while. But the interns at the time who were on the course were able to look up on this chart and see if they had Candida tropicalis, let's say, which herbs they should give. Um, if they had Candida albicans, which herbs should they give. And the chart also was put together so that you could see what accompanying bacteria would be effective by these same herbs. So it's very interesting, very interesting method. At this point, we no longer use this. It's, no, it's not needed anymore because, as I said, we've refined our protocols to the point where we know that when we give the protocol, it's going to destroy everything that's there. What we need to do at this point with our protocols is simply look at them categorically. On the Biamonte urine test, there are the three categories that show parasites, candida, and uh, bacteria. So we make our protocols or derive them from, from that as the criteria. We no longer need to know the species or strain of candida that the person has because we're only using the herbal products that destroy candida tropicalis and all the other strains. That's one of the biggest difficulties people come across when they're self-treating for candida is they don't know what their strain is, therefore they don't know whether or not the herbs they're taking are going to be effective against that strain. They also don't know if they have a, a true dysbiosis, meaning that they have a mixture of candida, of harmful bacterial overgrowth, and parasite overgrowth. So it makes it very difficult to successfully self-treat when you don't have this information at, your, at hand so that you're not able to then pick the correct medicines to take. Uva ursi, going back to our main conversation, is yet another antifungal herb which apparently has an affinity for the urinary tract. It was argued for quite some time whether uva ursi at all inhibited uh, fungus and yeast, and it's, it's been found time after time in doing uh, the culture tests where we determine specifically if we're going to have a successful treatment with the herbal product, that uva ursi is highly antifungal. It uh, is antifungal, but as I said again, it has a particular affinity to the urinary tract. So if you're dealing with, uh, let's say, a case of a man or a woman who has chronic vaginal yeast infections or chronic jock itch, the uva ursi would definitely be a good selection. It also kills E. coli and quite a few of the bacteria that you typically find in UTIs. There is a Chinese herbal formula which is called phellostatin, which is spelled P-H-E-L-L-O-S-T-A-T-I-N. Uh, phellostatin is a herbal Chinese herbal formula which is antifungal, which also has a particular affinity for the reproductive system. So men or women who have chronic yeast problems in the reproductive system would definitely be benefiting from the use of phellostatin, and that should be part of their program. Typically, how we use it at the Biamonte Center is we have the person 
Take the fellowstatin on a daily basis for about 20 days, just below that cutoff mark of 21. And then we stop it for 10 days or so and may have them restart it again and run it again for another 20-day period. Monolaurin is another interesting substance. There's been a lot written about monolaurin, primarily as an antiviral. Um, the Centers for Disease Control considered that monolaurin was actually an effective treatment in eliminating viruses. Uh, it's thought very, very, by many, let's say, experts that you actually cannot kill a virus. But the monolaurin has proved otherwise. Monolaurin has definitely proved that it destroys the outside envelope of the virus, therefore killing it. And that's not typical, not typical at all, because monolaurin, its effectiveness being definitely clarified by the Centers of Disease Control, brings it into an interesting position. Very often, monolaurin would be combined with a uh, particular type of silver protein called argentine-23, and those, that combination together, very effective at destroying viruses in the body. Uh, in fact, the combination of the Argentine-23 and the monolaurin was the, um, the base of the HIV treatment that we used uh, 10 years ago, which turned about 67 people HIV positive to negative based on the antigen tests and based on their viral load tests. We tend not to um, advertise very much that we have this HIV program and, and the fact that it is successful because you're dealing with a very politically dangerous subject in that there is a tremendous amount of money made in HIV drugs. So I'll let you read in between the lines on that one. Monolaurin, however, is also effective as an antifungal. It uh, is essentially an ester of mother's milk and it is effective. It's a, definitely a treatment worth considering when you're dealing with candida, particularly if your candida patient happens to have viruses at the same time. It is a, a pretty good two-for-one deal that you're going to gain by treating the viral patient who has candida with the monolaurin because you're going to be effective in arresting usually the virus and the candida simultaneously. Now, I believe we've covered, I'm going to summarize here at this point, I believe we've covered the majority of the protocols. We've covered the section of intestinal protocols. Uh, the intestinal protocols are what's used on the phase two part A of the Biomonte treatment. And these include caprylic acid, undesalinic acid, grapefruit seed extract, tannobit, which is the zinc tannin, butyric acid or buterin, also known as butyrate, and then the monolaurin. These are the most effective of the intestinal antifungals. Uh, in the category of what we would call systemic antifungals, <coughs> which are used on phase one of our program, there was one formulation that I left out in my discussion. It's a formulation made by the Metagenics company called Candy Bactin AR and BR. 
they're typically used together. They're highly effective. Over the years, we've seen people get a tremendous amount of die-off from those products, usually more so than other products. We have biocidin. We have calendula as another antifungal. We have the spilanthes and the lomation. We have the sumarus, uh, the colorex. And we also discussed neem. We discussed the tea tree oil and the oxygenating products. The oxygenating products are three, essentially. One would be ozone. Second would be hydrogen peroxide. This is food-grade hydrogen peroxide. And typically, as a supplement, it's in the magnesium peroxide form. And then we also discussed the biochlorodox, which is an ancestor of dioxychlor, which is another one of the oxygenating products. Oregano is another very strong antifungal. And you'll find oregano in various antifungal products. Uh, I believe when it's taken in combination with other products or substances, it's actually more effective. It's one of the few times that I would say that a formulation would be more effective than just the individual herb. But oregano oil does work very synergistically when you uh, formulate it correctly. Olive leaf extract is another which belongs in this category. Now, olive leaf, interestingly enough, was introduced to me many years ago as an antiviral. We then discovered that when people were taking it, they would sometimes expel parasites and worms. So it became obvious that it was also an antiparasitic. Its effectiveness against candida, I would say, is dubious. I don't know, uh, as an example, uh, any cases that I could claim olive leaf extract acted as a very powerful antifungal. Um, I don't have that experience or have not seen that result in using it. But I would say that as an antiviral, it's definitely in that arsenal. And I believe that will bring us to the end of this broadcast today. I think we've made a pretty good uh, coverage on all these products. And again, to answer the question, which is the most effective? Well, you need to get a test to find that out. Because which is the most effective is strictly which is the most effective for you, the individual. This is Michael Biamonte, clinical nutritionist. Thank you for joining us. That's a wrap for this episode of the Candida Chronicles featuring Michael Biamonte, certified clinical nutritionist. Michael holds a doctorate of nutropathy and is a New York State certified clinical nutritionist. He is a professional member of the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists and of the American College of Nutrition, and he's a member of the Scientific Advisory Board for the Clinical Nutrition Certification Board. For more information on how Michael can help you, please visit healthtruth.com, that's health-truth.com, or phone his office at 212-587-2330. Welcome to the Candida.